We're looking at Hebrews chapter 7 today. Hebrews 7. Now in chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews is resuming a point he started making back in chapter 4. And if you'll remember uh, uh, that he was talking about the high priest, that Jesus is the great high priest, and he's not a priest after the Levitical order, the Levitical order being the descendants of Aaron, who, who was from the tribe of Levi, along with Moses. Uh, these people from the tribe of Levi were appointed to serve as the priests for the Israelites. Jesus was not of the Levitical order. He's a high priest of the order of Melchizedek, we're going to find out today. Jesus, of course, was from the tribe of Judah, not Levi. So after taking a brief detour, he introduces this topic in chapter 4 and 5, and then he stops for a brief parenthesis to exhort his audience to continue in the faith and not give up. He resumes the argument here in chapter 7, speaking about Melchizedek and Christ. And if you remember the very last thing from last week that was said in chapter 6, and you can look at it there in the text, he's become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that brings us to chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. Though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him... You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness, 
and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without, without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Well, this is God's holy word, and as we read through all of that, it seems like it can be a bit confusing. Uh, the, the book of Hebrews, especially in this middle section, is something of a Bible study because the writer of Hebrews is commenting on other Bible passages. In particular today, he's talking about Psalm 110, verse 4. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And he's building on that and doing a Bible study of that. He actually refers to Genesis as well because that's where we first encounter Melchizedek. But the verse that you really need to pay attention to that really sums up what the writer of Hebrews is getting at is verse 25. Consequently, that is based on everything I've talked about up to this point, you can also translate that therefore. And of course, when you see a therefore in the scripture, you need to understand what it's there for. And it's there to sum up the argument here. And he says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. He saves, rescues, delivers. He keeps safe. He preserves those who draw near to God through him. And he introduces a better hope through which we draw near to God, as you see there in verse 19. And that consequently points us back to what he's been talking about. And he's been talking about Melchizedek, of course. Now, who was Melchizedek? <clears throat> you see in verses 1 through 4, uh, the description of the first time that the Bible talks about Melchizedek. Melchizedek is only mentioned three times in the Bible. Genesis 14, that's what he's referring to here in verses 1 through 5. Psalm 110 that refers to Melchizedek, which we read as our call to worship. And then, of course, the, the passage before us here in Hebrews, where the writer of Hebrews talks extensively about Melchizedek pointing to Jesus. Um, <clears throat> verses 1 through 4 tell us that Melchizedek is the king of Salem, uh, a priest of the Most High God. He is a king 
and a priest. And the, uh, the context of that meeting between Abraham and Melchizedek was when uh, uh, Sodom and some other cities were invaded by some kings from the east. Cater Laomer was one of those kings. You see it in Genesis 14. Uh, Abraham uh, goes after Lot, who has been kidnapped by one of these kings. And so there was this little war going on. And Abraham goes out to rescue Lot, and he goes and conquers these kings, and he rescues Lot and his family and all of their uh, all the spoils from the battle are his. And then we have this mysterious scene where Melchizedek appears on the scene. And it says, After his return from the defeat of Laomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So that's the story of Melchizedek. He was king of Salem. Uh, he was, his name means king of righteousness, Melchizedek. Mel, Mel, Melchi is king, and Zedek, or, uh, Zedek is righteousness in Hebrew. It's Melchizedek, king of righteousness, and he's king of Salem. And the word Salem is shalom in Hebrew, the king of peace. And it's not only that he was a king, and I believe he was an earthly human being. Um, there's some who would say that he's a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, but I don't think that's correct because... You don't compare, he's being compared to Christ, Melchizedek is being compared to Christ, and you don't compare something to, the, to itself. So Melchizedek physically sat down and had a meal with Abram, and when the pre-incarnate appearances of Christ happened or an angel of the Lord encounters someone, it's usually a very brief encounter. But here we have them sharing a meal, Abram tithes to him, and there's a conversation going on. So Melchizedek was king of Salem, but I think these also refer to his character. He was, a, he was a king priest who was righteous, and he was the king of peace. Um, and he's similar to Jesus in that respect. Jesus is a prophet, priest, and king, and he's the prince of peace, as we talk about during Christmas every year from that passage in Isaiah that talks about him being the prince of peace. So this uh, Melchizedek was a great king, a priest, um, and Abraham has a great deal of respect for him because Abram uh, is blessed by Melchizedek. He receives a blessing from Melchizedek, and uh, Abram responds by tithing, giving a, him a tenth of everything he had. So that is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he says the superior uh, is... This is a fact. The superior is the one that blesses the inferior, and the inferior one is the one that tithes to the superior one. So Melchizedek is superior to Abraham, obviously, on these two counts, and, and by extension, leave. This becomes, this is verse 15, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power 
of an indestructible life. So he's a priesthood in the order of Melchizedek, and he's a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek because he has an indestructible life. He rose from the dead. He is alive. He ever lives above for me to intercede. And this is the point he's making, the writer of Hebrews. He's saying the Levitical priests all died. Uh, they had to be replaced. It was you know, over and over again, generation after generation. But here's a priest that's indestructible. Here's a priest that lasts forever. You're a priest forever, Psalm 110 says. A priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And look what he says in verses 18 and 19. For on the one hand, a former commandment, that is the priesthood that was set up, that is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. People weren't made perfect by obeying the law. They couldn't obey the law. We, none of us can obey the law. We can't save ourselves and no priest can save us. Only one can. The perfect, indestructible priest after the order of Melchizedek, Jesus Christ. He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So Jesus is alive and the Lord has sworn it and will not change his mind, Psalm 110 says. We talked about God making an oath to Abraham. He made a promise and an oath to Abraham and a promise would have been good enough you know, God makes a promise to Abraham. That's enough. God never lies. It's impossible for God to lie. But he wanted to reassure Abraham even more, so he underlined his promise with an oath. He swore by himself. And here he's doing it again to Jesus. I swear by myself. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that's written for our encouragement, that Jesus is a priest forever. He will always be our high priest. Consequently, because of this, because he is a great priest in the order of Melchizedek, he is forever alive and interceding for us. He can save us to the uttermost. He can save us to the uttermost. That's a, that's a cool word, uttermost, because it's the word all or every and the word that is, uh, means the end or the fulfillment of something. It's the word that Jesus said on the cross when he said, it is finished. It's the same root. It is complete. So this is, he is able to save completely in every respect. He is able to save to the uttermost. Why? Because he always lives to make intercession for those who draw near to God through him. He always lives. You know, some of us, you know, we live for things. You know, some, some people I know, they live for hunting season. You know, the, you, you've seen the, the T-shirts that some women have, or maybe you haven't. Maybe it's just us rednecks. But, uh, you know, a uh, hunting season widow. You know, these poor wives, their husbands go off and they hunt all season long and they never see their husbands and they say they're widows because of their husbands live for hunting. Some people live for fishing. Some people live for sports, their favorite sports team. And their lives are, are uh, happy or sad based on the results of the game. You know that. 
I know that. We do those sorts of things. We get so enraptured in those things. I, I started bird watching. And I can't have a conversation with people outside. If a bird flies, I'm, I'm looking at it. And it's very distracting. <clears throat> and hopefully that will wear off after a while. But, but, you, but Jesus <clears throat> is kind of that way in that he ever lives for something. He ever lives to intercede for his children. Isn't that wonderful? He ever lives. That's, that's his purpose. He loves to ad, be our advocate. He loves to plead for us before the throne of God. He loves to be our, our representative there and to state our case before God. And therefore, because he's doing this constantly for us, the living high priest in the order of Melchizedek, He's always living to make intercession for us there, for those who draw near to God through him. So he can save us, <clears throat> and we need to be saved. You know, some people don't think that they need to be saved or rescued, but God is a holy God. The men's breakfast yesterday, we read Isaiah 6, and you know when I, Isaiah 6 is when uh, Isaiah the prophet encounters God's glory in the temple, and the seraphim are there saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and Isaiah says, Woe is me, I am undone. He had encountered holiness like he'd never seen it before, and he knew that he was a sinner. And he knew that he needed to be destroyed because he fell far short of the glory and holiness of God. And that's true of all of us. We need to be saved because there is a judgment. We read about it at the end of Psalm 110. There is a day of judgment, a day of recompense, where we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we need to be saved from our sins and from the consequences of our sins. And Jesus is able to do that. Not only does he intercede for us, but he goes on to say that Look at verse 26. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's a profound statement. He has no need like those high priests, the Levitical high priests, who offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus is the holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the perfect sacrifice once for all. There doesn't need to be any more sacrifice. Jesus has done it. He's done it all. So we need to be saved, and we need this high priest to save us. We need this high priest to continuously intercede for us. Now, some of us in our human tendency is that we want, to, we want to sacrifice and we want to earn our salvation on our own. And so we make the sacrifice of obedience. We try to follow the law. But what does he say there? The law did not perfect anything or anyone. The law can't make you perfect. You can't be perfect through following the law because you've already broken it. It's, it's, the, it's, it's done. You're, you're toast if you're trusting in your law-keeping to save you. God is a holy God. 
So you can't make any kind of sacrifice good enough to save yourself. You need that once and for all sacrifice. You can't appear before God and plead your case and, and make a case because you don't have a case. You can't intercede for yourself and say, well, I was a pretty good person. No, you weren't. You weren't. You weren't holy. You weren't perfect. That's what's required. You can't say, I've done this or that, or you can't say that I went, was a, from a Christian family. You can't say anything other than, I'm trusting in the one sacrifice, Jesus, to save me, and I throw myself on your mercy in Christ. That's the only plea. Jesus is the only plea that we can make. And, of course, if we're making that plea, then that means we're depending on him to intercede for us. He's representing us before God's throne of judgment. He has that indestructible life that allows him to continuously do this for us. And we can draw near to God through him. Isn't that wonderful? We can know God. We can have a relationship with God. People say that all the time. You know, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. That's what they're talking about. That we can draw near to God and, and be his children. He can be our God. And we can relate to him. And we can know that we've been adopted into his family and we're his children through what Christ has done, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So today, if you're trying to, you know, if you think, oh, wait, I've gotten off track. I'm trying to earn God's favor. I'm, I'm trying to be good enough so I'll feel like God likes me and, and accepts me. Well, you're always going to fall short. You need to run to Jesus. You need to depend upon him and his finished sacrifice and his continuous intercession for you. So cry out to him. Come boldly before the throne of grace and find help in your time of need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the provision of Jesus Christ, the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to value his great work on the cross. We pray that we would value uh, the fact that he was perfect and death could not hold him and he rose from the, de from the dead for our righteousness and that he, that he ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of, of God and is interceding for his people. Lord, pray that all of these things would fill us with worship and, and love and that we would realize at what a great cost it, it is that, that allows us to be able to have that relationship with you and not to despise that relationship but to reach out to you and to walk with you and to, to know you and to commune with you. And we pray now, Lord, as we come to the table that we would come and that we would indeed spiritually commune with you, that we might be strengthened and encouraged and we might bring ourselves and our sins and our problems to you and know that you are our loving Heavenly Father and that Christ has paid the price for our sins and that through his sacrifice, we can be your children. Lord, we pray that all these things would be ours in Christ by faith alone. And we pray, Lord, that you would work in this, these moments to draw us into deeper fellowship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.